Hello everybody, I am Karthik Venkateshwaran, co-founder and CEO of uh, JumboTrade, India's leading online wholesale marketplace and new retail platform for food and grocery. year 1998 a young man joins the indian army he's deeply patriotic and dedicated a decade of his life in service to the nation but he starts to realize that the way to make india strong is not by building up military capabilities but by making it so wealthy that none dare pick a fight and he intuitively understands that the path to make india wealthy is by fixing market access This simple insight led him to spend the next 6 years working in disruptive startups before starting up Jumbotail, which today is among the leading e-commerce platforms for Kirana stores. In this inspiring episode of the Founder Thesis podcast, your host Akshay Dat speaks with Karthik Venkateswaran, the founder of Jumbotail. Karthik shares his incredible journey from serving in the Indian Army to disrupting traditional retail without disempowering the last mile retailers. Stay tuned for the conversation and don't forget to subscribe to the Founder Thesis podcast on any audio streaming app to hear inspiring stories of founders who are making India strong through market disruption. My career started with the armed forces. I am a graduate of National Defence Academy and Indian Military Academy. the goal was a mission was always how can i how can i be serving the country how can i create large impact army is a way of life it's not even a career and i served in very hard combat i served in the infantry by the way so i served in gorkhas and i was in uh, hard combat fields in northeast manipur i saw conflict but over a period of time i started asking questions right why did i come i'm always this first principles thinker are there better faster ways of serving the country that are unique to my abilities my skill sets second one was i was seeing it right in front so conflict is the last resort right i was thinking what is the necessity that india should be in such a situation that our enemies dare attack us and i also uh, went to uh, united nations i was a military observer for united nations in ethiopia and eritrea uh hand picked and you know deputed by the indian army then i was a team leader of observers of almost 16 nations and i got to interact with them as well and many of them were economically developed and uh, you know they relied on their economic superiority over having to actually fight and you know go for fist fights so i said you know i think the right solution perhaps is be so powerful that nobody dares you know raise a finger it's like almost a startup uh, like you know focus on your customers don't bother about your competitors and then eventually you will figure it out all right so that's the kind of approach that i wanted to take and naturally for me the largest opportunity uh, was visible in food and grocery because in wherever armed forces are deployed you will only find two things farming and fighting i would see like in kashmir walnuts one of the largest walnut producing zones in the country and uh, probably in several parts of the world and you know a walnut farmer would lease his tree uh, to uh, the agents and then be a daily laborer in his own trees and then pick and pluck for walnuts and then it will go all the way uh, to some uh, processing and then the processed walnut will come back with the next price same you know shops nearby so why does it happen like why does it need to happen and why these market linkages are broken and those were my fundamental understanding of uh, of war and conflict you understood that there is a market access issue for in the food and grocery segment so uh, you had a journey to finally reach there tell me about that journey like for- i believe as for action so i i went back uh, home so i started understanding deeper parts while being there as well and uh, while being deployed in kashmir my last tenure was in uri so uh, it was uh, and if you have seen the uh, movie some of those places i was physically deployed there uh, but uh, i also went back to my hometown madurai which is the largest coconut uh, producing zone in 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 the country or one of the largest and 
I uh, experimented with connecting coconut farmers to faraway uh, buyers in Delhi. So uh, this was my uh, first experience and first ideation and uh, conceived a SMS-based platform. I named it as Kisanko.com. So Kisanko.com uh, was having its roots even prior to what I had even, you know, technically I later on came to know Flipkart was not even founded at that time. Um, so much later. It was an academic, I would say, today compared to the scale and size where Jumbo Tail is present, uh, it was an academic exercise. But some of the learnings were very clear to me. Again, started off, uh, I, I had some worthy, uh, uh, you know, counterparts in the industry who were pursuing such a uh, mission of connecting farmers to end markets. Uh, but I found that information asymmetry, so there are three flows basically, information flow, material flow and financial flow. So you go to a shop, you ask, uh, do you have this product? And he says, yes, I have, this is the price, that's information flow. Then you hand over your cash, that is financial flow, and then he gives you back the material, that is the material flow. This is the first principle flow of any commerce transaction. It happens in Amazon, you buy, maybe your financial flow is via Visa card, and then uh, you know uh, their logistic team can deliver it to you next time. And sometimes in e-commerce, the financial flow happens after the material flow. So he gives you the material and then he gives you the cash, right? But all of these three flows need to be solved if you want to conclude a transaction successfully. So in those days, uh, information flow, internet was, you know, uh, Nokia N70 was the smartest phone that, those days, huh, by the way. So uh, SMS-based, short post-based, somehow, you know, prototyping, you could get it done, right? Somehow you could also figure out sending the goods from Madurai to Delhi, some transporter, somehow you'll figure it out. But there was no way at least I could conceive at that time and uh, uh, that, you know, the, the farmer wants money at farm gate. The buyer wants to pay in the next consignment, not even in the current consignment. So he not only wanted to pay after the goods have reached and his requirement was, I can't check the quality of the entire consignment at the time of delivery. So my vehicle will come, they will unload it. And before your next consignment comes, I will you know, pay the, for the previous consignment. So there was always money pending with the buyer for the one consignment. And those days there's no NEFT and you know, I can't think of a core banking itself was you know, just getting forming and shaping those days, right? So I said, you can't successfully conclude a transaction. Then you'll be an information platform, will be a classified service, which is not like really something that uh, is there. So I realized that this problem that I'm about to want to solve of market linkages is not a minimum viable product problem. It is a minimum viable ecosystem problem. You have to create that entire ecosystem. And uh, starting from, say, readiness of, say, internet uh, or readiness of a, a transporter or long distance uh, travel. And you see, long distance uh, was always happening. It's not like, you know, the country goods were not moving. But it was established through some form of trust and there were many many agents that were you know taking and absorbing the trust gap right the reason why farmers would get lower price is because there is somebody a commission agent would absorb the trust gap pay a lower amount and then you will have a commission agent on the other side and these people will make the transaction right so therefore yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're taking the risk and uh, charging a margin yeah much 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 different from the conclusions that many people in the industry were drawing that this ecosystem has a lot of intermediaries that are sucking the value. I came to a different conclusion that nobody can suck value out of a system unless they provide value back to the system. I said, okay, we have to solve this. And I was not capable of solving that at that point in time. Neither did I have the skill, nor did I have the uh, network of friends. I came from the military, right? So then I applied to business school. And uh, I you know, was fortunate to be admitted to Stanford. And that's when I met my co-founder, Ashish. Ashish is a professional farmer. Uh, he's a superstar across all uh, dimensions you can ever imagine. He, was, he went to IIT Delhi uh, and then um, he was with BCG. Then he came to Stanford. He's deeply connected to this problem statement. He ran his own farms. He had his apple farms in Himachal. He was figuring out his own ways, how to vertically integrate. So the problems that I was encountering in 2008, 2009, uh, he was actually encountering in 2015 and things were not very different. The other learning that I also had during very early stages, which also fundamentally shifted my thought process on supply side versus demand side. So I said, you can go to all these supply side people 
and you can integrate and there is always somebody who's willing to sell sell for a better price but if you don't have buyers and india is not a country where you have these you know large concentrated buyers india is a country of you know 12 million stores and uh, maybe probably another million 2 million restaurants and other consumers of food so now how do you sell to them how do you you, know, you can't like find demand then that is one of the reasons why you find these intermediaries because nobody knew what the end markets were the farmer only knew about is the next you know commission agent who can buy from him that commission agent knew the biggest commission agent probably in the next city and that person knew the local wholesaler that local wholesaler knew the small trader that small trader knew the so there was no transparency in the entire value chain so if you want to solve for this problem unless you have demand you cannot replace the intermediary so even a banking system solution will not replace unless you have demand on your control so then we said okay farmers have to be improved market linkages are required but market linkages rightfully says market first linkage led so you should not start from farmer end of the story so i should start from uh, the other side of the story and this was a vague and a feeble thought in my mind at that time when i go back in 2010 but post stanford i joined ebay and i was very fortunate to join ebay at the time they were making this massive transition under john uh, donahue again a stanford uh, you know uh, mba stanford business school alumni uh, i was fascinated and and ebay was making a transition from a seller focused marketplace to a buyer focused marketplace ebay is always a seller focused marketplace they believe that if you get enough sellers on the platform there will always buyers will come right So, two thousand and eight, John Donago announced a three-year plan. It's all in the internet. You can check. You know, he wanted to reinvent, and he went on two important directions. One, focusing on buyers and getting the demand right and making the buyer experience right. And second one is he went for mobile. So, eBay was one of the first successful companies in the world to have reinvented itself from absolute abyss into one prominent platform uh, because of you know way ahead of time they they understood the power of mobile. and they went mobile first so it was a journey so even though jumbo tail itself was uh, formed uh, in you know very early uh, 2016 was the first like april 2016 was the first you know transaction and december 2015 is uh, you know when we closed our seed round and uh, company started but uh, the thought processes were like as early as 2008 hey, you were working at flipkart when you finally decided to take the plunge right so so did flipkart add to your thought process so i came to flipkart from ebay us i was in ebay us post my mba i accepted the offer flipkart offer somewhere roughly december 2013 and uh, i think they were going through one of their um, you know the first rough patch i would say 2014 was a golden year for them but nobody of us knew right so but when i was interacting with them i started interacting with them october the first email i wrote to them some of the people in flipkart it is 2014 when they had become the poster child they they raised 1 billion dollars of capital and they acquired mintra all of those things happened there are a lot of entrepreneurs people who were sitting right next to me in the cubicles runner grow um playment foundrush uh, reco all these you know great companies you know we were just sitting right next to each other all the product managers so again that network uh, very very helped even today it's a, you know i can just dial up a few people and start, seek advice very important to our friends and make those choices most of us will make choices very differently and i'll tell you the advice general advice is as if entrepreneurship is sort of as so you go to struggle for like say 3 years make a lot of money save up in my view it's a, a wrong approach what you are essentially trying to do is you are already assuming you're going to take 3 years to figure out and you're going to choose a, a maybe a company that is only optimizing heavily on money not on networks not on learning not on market understanding and then you say oh i'm going to actually enter and uh, be ready to struggle for 3 years no i would not say that i would say even if you have to you know cut short some of your uh, compensation aspirations go to the place that will give you the network that will give you the learning and then probably raise capital even before you start the company mm, right which is which is what you you did like uh, you also raised capital before starting only that's right 
Yeah, yeah, amazing insight. Uh, when you were pitching for fundraise uh, pre-product, you know, essentially it was like a idea on napkin stage. Uh, did you face difficulty there? Like, how how difficult or easy was it to raise the first round, the seed round? See, right from the beginning to the very end of even today, I have only one principle. You know, you should partner with people who take the first bets on you because they are the people who have taken the efforts to study you, understand you. Like it's like basically the attractiveness of a candidate when you are looking for. As soon as you say, well, I have an offer, then everybody else is, whether it's lined up or not, people are lining up for that person, right? But the first person, the first company that is taking the risk on evaluating and giving, that company actually has gone above and beyond. How much did you raise in that seed round? $2 million. Okay, amazing, which is a pretty good uh, seed round number. Yeah, we were the very first thesis of B2B, right? We said, you know, Kirana stores are the most important piece of the puzzle and we want to focus on them. So, like, once the uh, once you got funded, uh, like, tell me that launch journey. Like, you must have had, uh, like, a focus on, like, a, a minimum audience to capture, minimum product to build and, uh, you know, as proof of concept uh, before expanding further. So, what was that uh, journey? See, at all points in time, we were clear on some basic fundamental paradigms which will we operate. And if those principles are agreed, uh, we'll stick to those principles. And some of the principles that we uh, did was, we won't do things for the sake of what is attractive to investors in today's market. We will do what is right for our customers. And building a, a very, very, very high quality supply chain that will deliver small volumes of goods to small retailers at a service level that actually matches their expectation or probably exceeds their expectation and at a cost structure that is better than the unorganized world. Because we saw the likes of, let's say, you know, Walmart or Metro Cash and Carry or any other margins is a eventuality, it's a scale game. It will come. There are people bigger than you in the industry in non-traditional sectors, non-tech uh, method offline. They're already getting those margins. What is important is, are you able to operate at a cost structure that is better than the unorganized world? If not, then you can keep telling that I'm technology-driven, I'm a startup, I have a new way of doing things, but the market economics is never going to be in your favor. So we perfected our supply chain in one city and then rapidly scaled to nearly 48 cities in in a span of 18 months. And today, our right to exist is this cost mode. Being able to serve small retailers, the quantities that they want. We don't have any minimum order quantity. The world is moving more and more into order more uh, and I'll come and deliver to you uh, and you have to make a minimum order. Otherwise, my, my cost efficient is not there. We are actually the opposite. Order frequently, order less. And our supply chain has understood how to operate at a cost structure that is below or equal to the unorganized world, but operating within all the constraints of an organized world. And that is where the technology is playing, the technology-driven operations is playing the part. What were those learnings in, in the five years you spent in one city? Like, you know, what all did you learn? How, how did that learning help you build the cost mode? I mean, not just the cost mode, but even the uh, service mode. The first is uh, you have to actually position yourself very clearly and take the stand. What are you? Are you a uh, are you a cost advantage to the retailer, or the price advantage to the retailer, or are you a service advantage to the retailer? Right. What we found is many of the small retailers were anyways not buying in bulk. Number one, and they were not actually looking for cost. And how do we know that? This is one of the most counterintuitive learnings that we had. Many times a consumer will ask them, uh, you know, let's say I want this uh, XYZ product and he will say, Shantak dunga. In many cases, he was okay willing to buy even at MRP from a nearby store to retain his customer. The best thing, best of this example you'll see in Nehru place. You go to any shop and ask for anything, they will say you are, it is a go down. They don't want to lose that transaction. Many of them actually were aware of price, but they were more concerned about availability in their shelves. And the same thing that we also got to hear from some of our early research that we did on restaurant. Like they say that 
uh, hey, I am not buying urad dal from you. I am buying urad dal of a certain quality from you, which I have to convert into say vadas and serve my customer. Okay. Now, if you don't show up on time, or if you give a different quality at which my yield goes for a toss and my vadas taste change. then i lose my customer so i am optimizing for quality or at least consistency in the quality whatever i have chosen and availability and whenever i run out i need to order and you need to show up on time that is probably their expectations so and then there were a segment of traders who were in the market who would you know buy things in bulk keep with them and then who would serve the local markets so they were looking for better prices they would be willing to wait for goods because you know they are always stocking up like it's for them uh, stocking game and a demand game uh, so therefore we chose not to serve them we chose to serve the small retailers and we chose to play on the service part of assured delivery great customer service solve for credit problems uh, for the retailer access for small retailers don't get credit most of the time they are buying in cash One distributor may give, other distributor may not give. So we solved for problems for that, and uh, we became their trusted platform. So much so that we today have the highest wallet share among the small retailers who transact with us. They do transactions with nearly two hundred, three hundred vendors, right? Very fractional relationships because the deal hunting behavior. Uh, Offline world is offline world is organized that way because every brand will have its own distributor, every commodity will have its own trader, so they have to deal commodity by commodity, brand by brand. There is no single platform for them to deal with where there is one unified view of the customer, one unified service policies, one unified expectations of delivery, customer service, payments, which we created for them, and we solved that problem. And second one is we focused on density of demand on a daily basis rather than volume so we would much rather prefer a retailer ordering every single day rather than him having to bulk up his purchases once a week nearly 80% of our revenues come from uh, what we call as sticky customers the customers who order uh, a minimum of 9 uh, or 10 times a month 10 days a month not 10 times within a day multiple times they could order 10 days a month so we go and deliver to them 10 days and uh these customers uh their their average is about 15 16 some of them are as high as 30 in india what we also figured out is if you are lending or if you are enabling lending like we do connecting banks and nbfcs to kerala uh, stores no amount of contractual guarantees can solve your npa problem right you can't these are these are so small you can't go after the only way is you are so valuable to them that they do not want to default on your loans because if they lose your supply service they are losing something significantly more bigger like, like uh, paint me a picture like on day one you must have launched an app and then you must have done some work to onboard kirana stores you must have done some work to figure out supply and there must have been a process for supply and then after 5 years what did that look like so It's like initially the first five customers. I literally walked into each of the customers and and pitched and you know onboarded them. You know the WhatsApp group. That's how it started. In, you know way back. Uh, but uh, then the first few apps, some of the first apps that we built, we it was a completely stripped down version. Only one transaction for a very long period of time. Uh, we didn't even have a cart concept because our customers didn't have didn't understand cart. right uh, and uh, we were uh, very focused on building a localized app uh, from day one because our customers have to understand languages even even now our app size is very small um, and it has to be small because you know wifi upgrade was not a, a possibility so the architecture was that uh, it's a native android app but still we could push a lot of changes uh, we we invested in you know making critical changes into the app without having to actually have the app upgrade so some of these considerations we had built for supply chain again we were having uh, you know processes where initially 5 7 years ago it's all like manual processes uh, and we figured out that the most important uh, distinction between knowledge in the world and knowledge in the head 
the more your processes the uh, uh, that will become people dependent if if the knowledge of how to do the process resides in their head if you bring that knowledge and put it out in the world that anybody can come so as we were very focused on service we were also facing you know natural attrition uh, industry level attrition on the supply chain side which is a high attrition role uh, for say delivery executives or warehouse uh, loading champs or picking champs like a lot of startups would outsource logistics and uh, you know focus on growth instead like growing transactions adding more customers and adding more suppliers see i think that if you look back uh, in the b2c uh, evolution the only companies that have actually been able to last and survive are those companies that actually built logistics e-commerce may transaction cannot consummate if you don't deliver right and if you rely on a certain third party especially when you are actually building a completely new industry altogether now that third party logistic provider will not have a process or even a technology driven product to deliver the service that your customers require say for example our customers will do partial return of products a couple of examples i'll give you when you deliver a rice bag there's a net weight of let's say 25 kgs right but you know if the rice is very old and you know water content may have got evaporated it may become 24 kgs and 700 gram at the time of delivery now this is a, a big hit in their margin actually the 300 grams so they need to settle for the 300 so they need the refund then and there only so they will put it when taking delivery put it in their weighing machine or they would have taken a delivery of your rice bag discovered later that you know it is the not yielding the quality they would have used up like say they would have sold it say to 10 customers some of customers may have come back and given some complaints to them now they would want that bag to be returned so it's a partial delivery second third is you, when we don't have a different supply chain i don't know whether it happens in amazon flipkart today but at least for a very long period of time forward supply chain were very different than reverse supply chain so Uh, you have to call for returns and then somebody else will come and pick up your product our customers are daily frequently ordering with us so we had to have one supply chain that does forward and reverse in the same leg so i go i deliver the products today i pick up a few returns for previous day and then i have to give a net of settlement then and there only so today i am delivering for let's say 4000 and there is a 200 rupee return for the previous day you will pay me only 3800 you have to solve for these problems right these are all experience problems then you have to also see the people who are delivering needs to be trained because that's the face of the company at the time of delivery right and if you are not like you know polite and if you are not waiting for the customer most of the times when we go we see our customers are already serving their customers so we can't hurry them up we have to wait politely wait for our turn now a, a third party logistic agency may not be focused on delivering that level of customer experience for them they have to complete the delivery they'll say lelo if you are not now i'm leaving i'll mark something you know not returned or something and not not accepted or something i'll move on right that's not what we want to build that's one part second is this cash and also credit uh, uh, dovetailed on top of the delivery these are all very unique and nobody had and i can tell you that this is exactly how the b2c journey for flipkart also started they built everything later on things became so standardized then then the third party capacity providers showing up in the industry fascinating were you actually going out on these delivery runs observing and then you know incorporating that into product design some of our very first deliveries used to be done by me and ashish together ashish you know hand built the supply chain from scratch and many many days there were days in which you know around 7 o'clock or so in the night uh, we were behind the deliveries and we used to get the truck to our office assemble uh, some you know 10 to 15 people uh, some in two wheeler some in the thing and split the deliveries uh, into these 15 loads and all of us would go and finish the deliveries next one hour just by parallel processing amazing is there a formal process of uh, like how you get voice of customer you know like like how you understand at ground level what's happening what product feedback is coming in what changes need to be done like is it formalized through some mechanism which captures and documents all that that is right there is a formal and then there is an informal process 
one of the things that we did very early on is to invest in uh, user research, in-house user research. So we have a user research team that is in-house. The design team is led by a career professional uh, user researcher. She's from NID and uh, she started off her uh, career as a user researcher. We are a generative research focused company. What does that mean, that term generative research? In research, there are two kinds. One is generative research and one is evaluative research. Right? Generative research is your method acting first principles. You just don't know what to expect. You go and sit and understand uh, from the customer's point of view how their life is. Evaluative is I already have a solution and I'm evaluating whether this solution fits in their life or not. So both are required. Like when I go and say whether this app is useful or not, that's a evaluative research. I go and say, okay, your 24 hours of your life, what do you do digitally? Like, what are your digital interactions? Why do you do them? At what points you feel that you need to open your phone? What points you, uh, what are the apps that you otherwise use? How do you consume content? Understanding the customer, understanding their circumstances, understanding their higher aspirations, goals, is where we start. We have very formal programs called Customer Connects. We actually sponsor, uh, you know, Ola Uber cabs to our customers. It goes to them, to their location, pick up them and their families, bring them to our office. We give them, uh, you know, food and, and uh, uh, also, uh, you know, some gifts. We perform research on them. We ask them questions and we give them some, you know, prototypes that we are building. And then we drop them back. These are formal ones. Informal is, uh, you know, 100% of our uh, products get researched on the ground. Uh, not by just the designers, but also product managers who will go, who will understand. We call ourselves method actors. You need to know how the customers are living their life. You need to live their life. Enormous amount of emphasis is spent on hiring the people. Even during the interview process, uh, some of the uh, candidates have expressed their uh, you know, uh, surprise and some of them shocked that we force our candidates to actually talk to our customers. So we take them to nearby shops. We take them to our J24 stores. We just let them, okay, do. And a couple of interviews post that particular interaction is around their interactions in the shop. What did they find? How would they use? So they don't know what to expect. So we just let them, okay, this is your shop. Let's find out uh, whatever you need to speak. So what we do is, is this person tongue tied? Is this person able to hold a conversation with the retailer? Empathy, like this person actually having empathy. Is he asking, you know, uh, what are the quality of questions the person is asking? What is the area of focus? Is he effortlessly speaking to their consumers? Amazing, amazing. Okay. When you started, uh, I am sure a lot of Kirana stores would not have been comfortable placing order online. And maybe, like you told me, you started with a WhatsApp group. How did you change that behavior to uh, get them to do work purely online? You know, remove the 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 manual support part of it first of all we gave zero manual support from day one so we only chose customers who are comfortable so we made this choice we only cho chose those customers who had an android phone we made this choice the only support that we provided sometimes customers call us and say i don't have you know charge in my phone so those early days we used to have a program where we would recharge their phone and then take money when on delivery but you would have still needed a salesforce to onboard the new Kirana store owners, right? We don't need to see what we call a salesforce is like, okay, in industry today and traditional FMCG distribution plus even new age platforms that have, you know, grown crazy and shown, grown, uh, shown those GMB growth and all, right? The manner in which it has been as you, uh, uh, done is beat system. The people regularly visit and take orders. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just onboarding, but it's also that hunting farming differentiation is there in sales. So it's not just... The hunting is a very simple process. Before we launch a city, so we use uh, interns to go on. We have an app. So they go and map every single store and generate the leads. Then when we launch the city, so we go to these stores and, you know, we will tell them to uh, download the app. It's a four to five minute conversation. And they have about, what, 2,000 SKUs in their shops, maybe 1,000 SKUs, 2,000 SKUs. Some of the other is always running out in stock. And, you know, we introduce the, some of the asks, okay, what is the price, this, that, and also they place the order. No, no risk for them. Tomorrow, if the item shows up, 
they pay. They are very happy. So the item shows up, and then they order again. And then next time we show up, they order again. Next time we show up, it, you you have to show up. We only went to those people who already had that approach and attitude. We just self-selected those people, and we waited for other people to naturally change their behavior because they would hear great service, and they would hear uh, about you know other good things about our platform. So over 35-40% of our customers today onboard on referral. They just download the app and they you know self-onboard themselves. We validate their uh, business uh, proof and everything. And then during the first delivery, again, we figured out the process. We do the re-evaluation. Re and if the person is you know, turning out to be a non-business person, then we don't, uh, we don't deliver. Otherwise, we you know deliver and then that person is a, a customer in our platform. Why don't you deliver if that person is not running a shop? No, because we are primarily serving the Kirana stores, right? We can't serve end consumers. We don't want to serve end consumers. So, did you launch credit from like uh, early on, or when did you launch credit? And like initial, uh, like you know, first year or two, was it like pay in advance or cash on delivery, or like tell me that finance flow journey? Cash on delivery. We used to accept, uh, you know, checks on delivery. So credit uh, as an enablement. So we are in the business of enabling credit. So we have to connect lenders to our Kirana customers. So that probably started you know, around 2017-ish. Throughout, throughout 2016, we were doing a lot of uh, you know small experiments here and there, trying to understand the requirements of the customers, understand the requirements of the NBFCs, what are their challenges. And some of the main problems, again, we faced with the, this thing is, massive segment 500 billion dollar you know transaction worth flows through this market but lenders are not able to access this market because of very low volume high frequency transaction all the nbfcs in the country lenders in the country are for high volume low frequency like ekbar 5 lakhs ka you know credit you give and then you take it back over the period of 24 months 12 months like that right here a person is, you know, paying by a credit by 3,000 3, rupees, 2,000 rupees, and then repaying that money back in, like, say, 14 days, 20 days, like that, seven days sometimes. So they, they were not prepared to handle this level of transaction. Somebody has to actually create that platform to enable these two parties to be able to do it. That is what we started out building. How do you make this happen? Like, uh, is it like, uh, like a Typical lending fintech will have like a first loss default guarantee to attract the NBFCs to co-lend with it. and Or at times they start with balance sheet lending or I mean, there are different ways in which the lending fintechs get kickstarted. How, how did you uh, kickstart the lending business? These are loans directly underwritten by the lenders themselves. How did you uh, solve those uh, issues? Like, uh, you know, lenders are not comfortable with low ticket lending and like, how did you fix these we work with other platforms so there are platforms that are solving the issues people look for uh, uh, you know assurances on on collection so some of the uh, services that we provided on collection uh, where you know when we go for delivery we collect the money so all of those uh, solutions were provided okay okay and there's, there's like a bnpl and do you earn from this like the the credit business yeah, we are in the business of providing to the retailers the facility of them being able to pay at the time of their comfort at the time uh, they need to buy right there are different business models here so, but uh, does this add to your pnl uh, like uh, this credit business or is it like you're doing it without any margin for yourself we are enabling a platform uh, there will be revenue streams attached to it, uh, but we are not in the credit business. I to make sure the, the, it is between lender and the borrower. There are lenders who lend to sellers on our platform. There are lenders who lend to customers on our platform. Uh, you know, every every entity in our platform requires working capital. So these are working capital financings that are taken by uh, different different uh, you know people across, and we are enabling this. Mm, okay 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 good uh, you told me how you're onboarding Kira, the kirana side uh, like the demand side uh, how do you onboard the supply side like if you could talk about that process how you built that up when you have a demand supply side uh, there are you no know, large fmcg companies small fmcg companies regional fmcg companies and then uh, staples mills so there are always people who are looking to sell and directly reach the market so enabling supply chains uh, so today when you have 
the kind of reach that we have across 48 cities, right? Supply side naturally comes to us for reaching these and reaching on our platform. So it happens uh, on one of two ways. One is like we know what the selection that our retailers want. So we go and onboard those selections. The other one is because we have these many retailers, supply side proactively reach out, reach out to us. There's a long uh, list of suppliers who want to list on our platform, who want to make their products visible to the Kirana stores that are there in our platform. So happens both ways, inbound and outbound. Okay, got it. So, uh, you know, what were your learnings in that 18-month period in which you went from one city to 48 cities? Uh, you know, you must have... Uh, encountered uh, something which was unexpected and maybe differences in uh, customer behaviors or you know what, what were some of those learnings the the first is a very pleasant surprise that how scalable are our model so we didn't actually plan to go to 48 cities our plan when we started expanding was six, eight, six to eight cities in one year then we realized that opening a city is a cakewalk for us and everywhere we go we were welcomed to the red carpet by our customers we wanted our service so because of word of mouth. Yeah. Word of mouth also, you know, uh, they were introduced to different parts of this method of buying from online, but they were having poor service by getting the kind of service levels that they want from others in the industry. So they were already aware of the concept of, you know, okay, uh, you can buy online and somebody will come and deliver to your shop. But when we went there, uh, they, they saw our service and adoption was, you know, rapid, I would say. Second is because of the model, the complete software automated supply chain that we have uh, all we needed to start a city was find a bare shell facility 20 25000 square feet and supply side was already ready uh, so we were uh, just onboarding uh, them uh, another aspect is that the uh, if you have to open a grocery to sell say consumer right you have to have everything for the consumer to come to you even consumer will not come only to sugar only for him he may go one, one place for grocery and one place for electronics, but within grocery, he won't split. But Kirana stores are not like that. They are naturally trading commodities and uh, like they, they are naturally used to looking at distributor X for brand X and distributor Y for brand Y and a commodity trader for commodity A, like that. So therefore, you could actually bootstrap even with uh, you know a good selection across a few uh, sub-verticals, I would say subverticals of staples, high selling products and then get started in the city and start adding value to the retailer. Uh, you don't have to actually have a full selection to get started. So that's another, uh, you know, great learning. So like, for example, in Bangalore, uh, we have we have several thousands of SKUs in, uh, you know, uh, in other city, uh, we could start with a few hundreds of SKUs and uh, still add value on day one. Second uh, pleasant surprise was, you know, contrary to our intuition or uh, this thing is Bangalore is like a oh, oh, tech savvy market. And what we found was all cities were equally tech savvy. And uh, it is only dawned upon us much later that even within Bangalore, right, these Kirana owners and all are, you know, coming from these tier two, tier three cities only. It is not like, you know, a, a born and brought up in Bangalorean is waking up to become a Kirana owner, right? So therefore, we already have already built for this uh, level of uh, tech savviness and adoption and therefore we were not facing the challenge of sort of you know adoption of tech and uh, supply chain uh, you know scaled very well in many cases the cities had less traffic or past structures were much much better uh, and uh, in uh, tier 2 cities uh, brands also appreciated because their distribution strengths were probably in Bangalore much better so overall expansion has actually worked out really well for us uh, being present in more cities have given us more value to the brands. So when we go to them, we are able to add value across the country. When we go to uh, the stores there, they are able to get these brands because, you know, TV advertisement will come, but then supplier is not there, distributor is not there. The store owner is not able to serve the end consumer who is walking to the store and asking for that particular product. So it has worked out very well for us, the scaling part. Hmm. Uh, you buy directly from manufacturers so uh, do you also do intercity logistics like if a manufacturer is based in one area will you transport his goods or he has to transport it to all the cities where you're launching see we may provide a, a set of services to manufacturer uh, especially smaller manufacturers to find but then our our starting point of the journey is their goods are available in uh, warehouses in the local city so whether most of them are able to do that in their own. So sending intercity is not a problem for them. They can get partner trucks, full trucks, they'll send it. 
getting demand is a problem for them so which we help right 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 and what is the delivery times that uh, you promise to the kirana stores like is it same day delivery or yeah so we deliver in 24 to 48 hours it's like you you were giving me examples of if you order today you will uh, receive delivery tomorrow okay okay interesting uh, so uh, for uh, like a new age d2c brand uh, you would be like a plug and play partner to go offline in a way like like somebody who's only selling online uh, direct to customer or through e-commerce marketplaces so if they want to be on shelves then y- you would you could be that partner to take them to shelves across the country that's absolutely right so we believe that india is going to see a massive explosion of new brands in food and grocery some of them could be local some of them could become regional and national as we as the gdp increases the consumption will double or probably triple not from a volume perspective but value perspective so as the consumption pattern moves out of you know process, raw foods to processed goods this explosion what we believe is that you know all of these brands will have to find the offline market there is no way they can be stuck to the top 1 to 3 million customers that are transacting in the top b2c platforms in the country they will hit a digital ceiling very soon we are actually hearing from many venture capitalists that these d2c brands are increasingly being asked to start offline strategy on day 1 rather than you know spending because the cac has significantly gone up in online online platforms right now and uh, and also the addressable market is just too small uh, for the top and uh, because of economies of scale and stuff Uh, many many innovations in product are not even happening right uh, there's only so much of air you can put inside a snack box right and only so much of healthy snacks you can make so therefore how do you actually uh, build mass products that can reach mass customers and the general trade channel plus the modernized general trade channel that we are pioneering the j24 those are extremely critical and we are building a suite of services for the brand to say i have a product now get me the demand how is that so many simple start with simple communication many of the retailers you know can't even transmit the fact that okay there is a great product that has come to their consumers with their own channels then you know offers and uh, and also the brand to have a very targeted uh, outreach program in the areas and supply points where their uh, products are already located so these are you know brands are flying high blind right i mean they cannot run a uh, campaign in a city like bangalore if they have not even stocked up in the kirana store so it has to be a very coordinated effort to get their roi for the marketing campaign ideally the brand should market to end consumers only when the local supply points are stocked up mm-hmm. so you can give them a granular view of where all is their inventory we are also providing services for them to do granular local level marketing to test instead of having to spend money in like say mass marketing within city we can even go for you know granular marketing services for granular marketing to end consumers uh, and also placement in our j24 stores and j24 is a consumer brand uh, and we have direct digital relationship with end consumers so sharing those end consumers uh, you know information to the end consumers and then driving traffic to the j24 stores all of those capabilities we have when you say services for uh, granular marketing are you talking of online marketing or offline like point of sale marketing it could be anything it could be even btl it could be sampling today without us the limitations of the brand that they will have is they cannot introduce the product to kirana stores because of us they can introduce the product to the kirana stores number one right second is once the kirana stores are there the kirana stores also require support so we will be providing services for end consumer sampling like real sampling those four points so now a brand a cannot run only and fund the entire sampling campaign because uh, so maybe the we, we are aggregating demand across multiple brands and do the sampling we are cross merchandising buyers will come repeat purchases we know we know relative strength of you know shelves we know from the natural offtake organic offtake inorganic uh, so we are able to provide those analytics insights to the brand fascinating so uh, tell me about j24 so you know the current general trade as we see uh, from let's say 5 years from now some of the absolute evolution of the landscape of let's say how the country's demographics will shape up 
which is india is going to be a 600 million population young under 25 years of age and uh, they are going to have very different aspirations they express themselves to very differently they are fundamentally different in three ways one they are mobile native digital native they are born with mobile phones as like toddlers they got mobile phones to pacify themselves right that is the <laughs> that is the starting point of the journey for their life right for them everything that does not happen in a mobile is like something that is out of what, what, what's happening there second is uh, they don't want to be like anyone else the amount of aspiration to be individual to be known is and, and the way they express that they are individually different is by the products and the services that they consume they stand for and so j24 is a concept where we are modernizing the cream of the kirana store or the modern you know early adopter entrepreneurs who want to build for the future solve for and encapsulate what a good kirana store stands for great relationship better service and then encapsulate that in a brand and offer it via an omnichannel platform to the end consumer appealing to the demographic of the future so we target urban bharat middle class families young families who are you know young children they are very hard working people have high aspiration and they have they are in that you know hard spot i would say not speed spot of neither have money nor have time there are a lot of them because because why they don't have money is because their aspiration is i have to buy a home i have to buy a car i have to save for my in that order right so i have to save for my children's education okay so now that consumes a lot of their salary incomes and then in order to fend for it two people will work one person may actually do one and a half jobs and they are heavily reliant on the local shops of the kirana stores and they have very different needs nobody is solving for those needs they are digitally savvy they are expecting a digital relationship with the local kirana stores they want to be hygiene they want to be known like i am not like my parents i want to be different j24 is business in the box for entrepreneurs to solve for all of their demand side and in store technology uh, operations so we provide them with a golden eye uh, retail operating system which is our in house operating system to operate a small store give me some examples of golden eye features like how it is customized to like say for example home delivery the entrepreneur is giving home delivery second is many of the times entrepreneur gives credit from his own books like won't he won't this thing right so there is no uh, capability for the customer to uh, you know repay on time so there are companion apps where customers can use to repay to the entrepreneur uh, they have uh, ability third is communication to his own consumers where you can pass on the communication to which integrated with whatsapp and uh, there is a method for entrepreneurs to be able to send communication to his consumers this is all is you know purchases how do you record how do you settle all of those things are integrated to the banking system second so this is a procurement system so in his b2b procurement uh, side uh, it will be informed by the b2c sales so yahan pe kya hai as soon as he orders let's say 20 cadbury uh, chocolate when we deliver the inventory goes up in the system so he doesn't need to do anything it's a completely integrated suit right 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 and as soon as he sells uh, 15 of them you know only five are left and right. so then the recommendations come up in his b2b app okay you are running short of this please buy and sometimes when he tries to buy some other uh, products in the offer in the b2b platform uh, he gets attracted we give him advice oh don't buy more than this because you know you may not be able to sell it because we know your uh, sales right so the entire aspect of integrated procurement and integrated purchase sales that is there and finally the end consumers get offers directly from brands and then they get a loyalty program the first of its kind called green card and green card loyalty you know for the target segment that we have we are able to you know offer them a real loyalty program that they can value and use on a daily basis you actually come to think of it apart from let's say hotel chains and airlines right there are not really much loyalty programs out there yeah then that work every brand wants one but uh, i personally hardly use any yeah. yeah so our our loyalty program is used daily how does it work like you get uh, cashback in your uh, like correct so you get cashbacks that are passed on by the brands now the brands have a problem that you know they don't want to give it to the retailers because they don't know whether the retailer is passing it on or not now we take the responsibility of passing directly to the uh, consumer and the consumer can come and redeem only back in the our stores so really leakage for the brand is solved so the brand knows ki the the actual offer went to the consumer 
and the consumer purchase and so along with the cross merchandising right you can give a cashback for a air conditioner we are not building what everybody else thinks is b2c we are opening up a completely new paradigm of uh, uh, you know technology interaction with your local stores that are already being comfortably used by our customers we don't need to change their behavior we just need to provide a easy method for their behaviors to continue so uh, are you also launching uh, in house brands you know like say if you look at say like future bazaar had a lot of in house brands which gives them better margins like dal instead of rajdhani dal they would be a like a future bazaar dal or something like that so is that something which you are also doing the answer will be yes or no and uh, it is not necessarily looked at as like a margin play we have always adopted a platform approach the number one belief that we have is you can do everything yourself or you can be the platform in which people do the things on your platform okay our belief is for the country of our size hundreds of such brands need to show up in order to satisfy the needs of the growing economy growing population modern population okay so yes we will have our own brands absolutely but that's not necessarily from oh i want to make higher margin right margin and all is outcome for us we start focusing on the customer experience even when we launch there is a set of activities that is required to improve the sales right it's not like where your future bazaar or whatever you are kept on the right side and then consumer will come and pick it up it's a digital product digital app consumers have to uh, retailers have to discover it they have to have mechanisms to you know try it without any fear of losing money and uh, and things like the consumer if he just tries one packet and doesn't work out he'll not come back again but retailer we will lose money right which he doesn't want to do so we have to build those capabilities when we build those capabilities we will build it in such a way that all small brands all new brands can take advantage of it. it's again a platform approach the reason the answer is yes we will do it amazing help me uh, understand uh... what all contributes to margin at what rates uh, so you know for example with a company like amazon we know that they have uh, aws which is a big part of their margin the pure e-commerce is not a big part of margin but then they also earn money through advertising with brands like brands who want to advertise on amazon that is a big part of margin so can you help me understand for jumbo till what are things that give you margin like you know what are the sources of profitability See, our primary sources of profitability is the commissions that we charge from our sellers on the platform, and uh, uh, and then the shipping charges that the sellers pay us for their goods, and then for the J twenty four stores, the retail services fee that we charge from them, and uh, then the brands also pay for uh, additional marketing income uh, for the visibility that they get. They have brand stores. We have brand stores. We have real real estate within the app. We are able to monetize, so it's a complete suite of uh, products uh, and services that we offer. Uh, do you get more margin from the brand services or from the commissions? Yeah, uh, primary is a transaction platform. Right, commissions are the. primary one okay okay help me understand the market structure there are a lot of uh, companies in this similar space of working with kiranas like uh, there is uran there are uh, smaller brands also like say there's shop kirana there is i think elastic run also is in this space there's a much smaller brand like apna club also so you know are there different spaces that everybody is occupying uh, or is it a large market and everyone is Uh, there is enough uh, room here for everybody or like like what 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 is the industry structured like i think see primarily the the philosophy is uh, there is general trade there are 12 million kirana stores in the country who require uh, to be supported it's a large market in itself uh, now where are these some of them are geographically spread so some of the i, I wouldn't take names of competitors but i can just tell you that some competitors are uh, some uh, not even competitors like some some players are focusing only on tier tier 4 and below some competitors are um, you know uh, focused on what they say tier tier 2 cities our primary thesis is uh, india's economy is going to be concentrated more and more around urban centers 75% of our national income is going to come from urban centers so you will see us operating heavily on the urban side uh, with a complete thesis that Here is where the money is going to be made, right? Plus, uh, you will see other cut between uh, a horizontal and a vertical approach. 
so we are a complete vertical what, what is the difference here horizontal versus vertical what horizontal is they'll be in uh, grocery they'll be in uh, fashion they'll be in electronics any anything that, uh, uh, that that there is an organized retail market for that they will be in that segment in that segment organized then there is a intersection of uh, there's a split between a vertical within a vertical player itself are you a full stack so we are the only full stack vertical player full stack means we have an offering on the kirana's demand side kirana the consumer j24 we connect the kirana to the brands and we are also operating on the new brands d2c brands plus own brands as a manufacturer so we are full stack and then we are offering financial services banking solutions all of these enabling uh, solutions some people are operating between kirana and brands in rural markets some people are doing the same thing in tier 2 markets some people are doing that thing across all markets across all categories uh, can you share some uh, metrics like gmv or like what is your uh, earning or revenue numbers or some of those just to give listeners an idea of the size of jumbo tail i can uh, you know first of all we have never focused on uh, gmv as a metric at all but uh, we are uh, you know a fairly large platform i can tell you that i can't give you the specifics because also going we are operating in 48 cities we are a fairly large platform with uh, multiple 1000 crores of gmv and we have about 250000 uh, retailers on our platform across these 48 cities and who are heavily transacting with us and 80% of our uh, gmv comes from what we call our sticky customers who transact with us on an average of 15 to 20 days a month 15 to 16 days a month and a minimum of 9 to 10 days a month for this cohort amazing so what is the headcount of jumbo tail today and today we are roughly about uh, 800 odd people full time Hmm. Okay. Okay. And uh, you know, uh, what is the way in which you have uh, built up like a 800 uh, strong organization so that everybody is aligned and mission driven and you know, uh, like see when we started the company, right? Ashish and I uh, first enunciated the core values that we will build this company around, which is very very important. And all of the uh, hiring, retention, reward. everything centered around how aligned uh, to the value system that we have so 70% of our employees rating is awarded to peers or so only 25% uh, is with uh, the managers and your skip manager doesn't even have a say in the rating so therefore you know your managers are fairly independent to build their team protect their teams irrespective of what their managers will feel and we said that you know if you build a culture where everybody thinks there are two eyes watching you or maybe four eyes including your skip uh, you know that's going to be a very different company than any eyes can be watching you all the time and anyway you cannot hack that right and second one is okay now if there are so many different people each of them will have any number of expectation we need to bound that expectation and we bonded by that our 15 core values which are all fundamental you know values of any good human being we have a constitution and we have uh, done this right from day one it was never an afterthought it was a very conscious decision right from day one of the company in fact actually even before we incorporated the company i think we wrote this manifesto Amazing. What is this manifesto or this constitution? Like uh, it spells out the values. You can see in our website uh, the core values uh, you know, that are there. Like it starts with customer fanaticism, uh, think long term. Uh, you know what do you what do you want to do? And and one of the things that we said was, um, not one thing is going to be able to uh, achieve your goals. Like for example. Uh, take risk fail fast fail safe is one of the core values right but now if you don't exercise judgment then you may be in trouble you know you can be open honest and direct uh, which is one of the core values but you have to disagree and commit to right you you decide deliver and disagree and commit like you have to have that uh, you know i can come and tell you that your plan is not right but then you know that cannot be the end of it right somebody has to prevail for the customer to benefit in one way or the other right 
because I want to experiment, iterate, right? But not architect. For him, the most important thing will be personal excellence. So now he needs to pick up the person. So uh, an engineer who is entering into the uh, system as he is, you know, evaluated, he will be evaluated bias for action, right? As he grows into the system, he needs to be evaluated for think long term and pursue excellence. Hmm, 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 hmm. So in the peer review, the parameters are these core values, these 15 core values. Some of these are selected and there is some weightage. Some of these are selected and uh, is he there? So we have a tremendous amount of you know uh, distance to cover in making the system perfect. So we are now in the process as the organization has become now suddenly you know uh, la- large. Uh, we have to now define, okay, for this role, these are the values that are important. And probably give a more weight uh, than uh, something else. Those are work under progress, and we will figure it out. But needless to say that you know this is not a company where we'll come and tell you, oh, you achieved great results, uh, and uh, okay, you've done your sales or you've done your product and this thing. But if you have rubbed your people on the wrong side, if you have taken shortcuts, if you have actually uh, not done it right, then you are not going to be rewarded. On the other hand, uh, if you have adhered to these values, uh, we believe that results will be an eventuality. And that brings us to the end of this conversation. I want to ask you for a favor now. Did you like listening to the show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in the show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at the podium dot in. That's ad at t h e p o d i u m dot in.